Um, you know, if you've been, if you're part of our regular church and been coming on a regular basis, now you know that we have stirred up much anticipation and excitement for this service. Um, guys, you can go ahead and come and we'll get this stuff uh, moved and set up. Um, I'm excited for today. And um, God is going to do some awesome stuff. God's doing something awesome already in us. And uh, we thank you for being here to celebrate this with us, to be a part of this. Uh, we're excited that you're here. You're not here by accident. And you're not here just to maybe see your daughter or granddaughter do something later today. You're not here just to, uh, you know, hear a guest speaker. You're here to receive from God. And, um, uh, you know, this is a great time to be a part of what God is doing in this city. Um, I, am, I am more stirred up today than I was 12 months ago when we got here. Uh, more than we were 12 months ago when we moved here uh, to, to pastor this church and see what God wanted to do through us. I am more excited today. And um, God's going to do some awesome stuff. I want you to get ready for the word that's coming forth. The, today um, I have my pastor, Pastor Earl and his wife, Pastor Marcy, with us. Um, we've been a part of, of the ministry there for the past uh, eight years down in St. Augustine, working there in various different capacities of ministry. Um, this is my spiritual father, period. Um, this is the one that gets the greatest investment in my life. This is the one I receive the greatest investment from in the earth. And um, so it's an honor to have him here. We had to, they, I know they have a very busy month. They're doing a full outreach down in St. Augustine that they're getting ready for at the end of this month, and there's a lot going on. It, traveling out of town later in a few more weeks, and I know some stuff had to get moved around, and, but we made it happen because we, we value the church, we value what God's doing here, and I value bringing in a voice. We, we haven't had any voices up to this point. There was one, one week I was out of town, and this is the first time we've had someone in, and I've been here, and I'll tell you, um, and I told you guys last week that I value the pulpit too much to just put anybody in here. Um, you know, I, I don't just get people calling me and saying, hey, we want to drop by and, and minister this week and we happen to be in town. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit has a purpose and a mandate for who takes this pulpit and who's investing in your lives. So this has been God-ordained. This has been put together by God. So I want you to be uh, full receptive mode. Your, your heart's open. Your mind's receptive to the Word of God today. It's going to be like-minded. It's going to be like faith of what you've been hearing. And uh, those of you that guess, we're excited to have you. Uh, just want you to know that not every service is the same here at Anchor Faith. Our little uh, saying is you've got to come back at least five times. So, uh, you know, God's doing something different every time. And this isn't, this isn't produced. This isn't set in stone what we do every week. And so we're excited about what God's going to do. So at this time, I want to bring up my pastor, Pastor Earl Glisson. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to see some familiar faces, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm more excited. Well, I'm just as excited because sometimes familiar faces aren't there the next time you show up, but I'm very excited to see people I've never seen before. Amen. And uh, God's good. Pastor Mark was with us at, down in St. Augustine. He was a children's pastor for us um, for quite some time. And um, it seemed right with us and the Holy Ghost that he come and take the ministry here. When Pastor Brian and Cheyenne relocated down to St. Augustine, they're doing well. And um, we came up. I was honored by Pastor Mark for us to come up and minister his first year here at Anchor Faith Church. And the first year we've relocated to this place. Amen. 
and it's beautiful. Amen. I really like the orange room next door and the white trim. And um, there is another room that's blue in there, so we're getting closer, and I'm excited about that. Pastor Mark said to me uh, last night, he says, what are you going to do when you come down and everybody becomes a Gator fan? I'm going to say it's a miracle, <laughs> considering you love Texas so much, you know, that you actually um, allow that to take place. But um, anyway, it's good to be back with you. Uh, we have these, you know, neat little ca- capabilities um, with technology where you can Skype things in. Pastor Mark and I, we meet every month. We meet actually every Monday. He Skypes into uh, meetings that we have there at Anchor Faith Church uh, with our pastoral staff, and uh, we do a lot of leadership training and things. And so if it seemed right today, if it just had rolled right, we were going to Skype in this service to the church in St. Augustine and let everybody know what's going on up here. Uh, but more importantly, we don't want to go by just time stuff. We want to go by what God's doing. And so I told Pastor Mark, if we finish worship and I happen to be up there at a time that the other service starts and we can do that, great. If not, it doesn't matter. Amen? And so uh, I'm excited to be able to be here today and just um, the church down in St. Augustine is praying for you. They're excited about what God's doing uh, up here in Valdosta. And, man, we're excited about the deposit. Amen? Let's get right into the Word. <clears throat> um we're going to talk about four degrees of separation today. I know Pastor Mark's been doing some things on separation, and I myself down in St. Augustine, we uh, did a 30 days of discovery, and we called it Separate Timber. And um, we took time to you know, pray fast and, and added extra prayer time at the church body, and it was great to see the body come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays in addition to the other prayer times we have, uh, tapping into God. Because we're just hungry for God. Amen? You hungry for God? I mean, really, when it's all said and done, you know, we all going to see God. So we need, to, we need to answer the question, you know, are we doing it right down here with the way he's called us to do? And we're going to see some things here. But I want to talk about four degrees of separation because there's different separations that take place. There's some that are positive and some that are negative, okay? The first one right out of the gate, turn over to Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> the first separation we see in the Bible is recorded in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, this is the great separation. This is a terrible separation, actually. And... Um, and we see here in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. He created everything in it in six days. On the sixth day, he created man in Genesis 1, And he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him have rule or dominion. That's Genesis 1, Let him have rule or dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. Amen. Let man rule or have dominion. And this was God's order and design. This is what he wanted man to do. He wanted man to be able to rule in this seen realm as he ruled in his unseen realm. And Adam was considered the son of God. If you just read the Gospels, you'll see so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so. And typically we, we skip over all the begets, you know, and half the names you can't even pronounce, you know. And so um, we finally get down to one of them, and it says, and then Adam, the son of God. Now, that's not Jesus, the son of God, but it's Adam, the son of God, meaning that God pulled from his spiritual substance and planted it into a man that he made out of the dust of the earth and called him man, and it became Adam. And Adam's on the planet, and Adam doesn't know sin. Adam does not know sin. He doesn't even know what that is. I mean, he's created in a perfect world. Can you imagine that? He's created in a perfect world. And he says, man, he told Adam, he said, go and eat of any fruit of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you don't eat from it. For the day you eat, you'll surely die. Amen. So you understand, Adam, and we ask this question all the time down in St. Augustine and everywhere we go, if Adam had never eaten the fruit, where would he be today? 
That's a pretty thought-provoking question because, you know, Adam in his existence on earth initially wasn't trying to leave the planet because he's perfect. He's in a perfect world. God created this world for him. He has a relationship with God. He's not trying to get to God. He's with God. God's on the planet. It's like heaven on earth. And so, you know, Adam, all he has to do is not eat the fruit, and he won't die. He won't even know what that means. And we understand the word die doesn't mean cease to exist. It just means to be separated from. That's what it means because you understand nobody's dying. People are separating. My father passed away when I was 18 years old right after I graduated from high school. He didn't die. He just separated from the planet. He's somewhere else. Amen. I believe he's with the Lord, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And in his last years, he, he gave his life to God, though just by fire, man, he got in. But man, it praise God, at least he did. Now, unfortunately, he's realizing all that he didn't do for God and could have done and what God planned for him. But at least he's with the Lord. There's some people that never made Jesus Lord of their life, and they're still existing, though they left the planet. And that's not a good thing at all. Okay, so we never die, even at the very end, at the great white throne judgment, even at the end, at the judgment seat of Christ, even at the end, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, even at the end, when the devil's thrown into the lake of fire and all all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they're still going to exist. They'll just be separated from God where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, those people will be ever present. Come on now with the Lord. That's good news. Hallelujah. And so everyone's existing. The question is, are we with God or not with God? And the reason why death comes in, he says you'll die, is because God is the author of life. Amen. I know Pastor Mark's taught you that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give what? Life and life more abundantly. And we know Jesus is the Word because John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Was God. Then verse 14 of the same chapter of John, chapter 1, he says, And the Word became flesh. Well, who is that? That's Jesus. Amen. So Jesus came to give life. The Word gives life. When God speaks, it gave life because in the beginning God said, Let there be, and there was. Okay? So what the Lord's saying then is, If you do something against what I say, then it's death. You separate yourself from me. And notice it's your choice, not God's. Because God gave, and I love God, because God is an answer God. Amen? Come on now. God is an answer God. You can get around certain people, and people don't know that God answers anything. And they're so confused about what God will answer or won't answer. Well, if the Lord's will, He will. You you can find out what His will is because we have the mind of Christ. Amen? He wants His will known. If you seek it, you'll find it. If you'll knock, the door will be open. Come on now. If you ask, you'll receive. So it's not like the Lord's trying to just hold back just to keep you on a string. No, the Lord wants to reveal himself to you. Okay? And you can find God's will in any circumstance and situation in life if you just ask. But so when the Lord speaks, he's speaking of life. And so anything that goes against his word is then separation. And the Lord tells Adam, he says, you can eat of any fruit. How much fruit? any of it except one one tree man just one tree man don't touch the tree and the reason why he told him not to touch the tree has nothing to do with control it has to do with life amen if camden right now came in here and he started to run across the parking lot and a car come flying through how many you gonna say something are you gonna say well it's it's his choice 
How many are going to sit back and say, well, if the Lord's will, he'll get hit with a car, and if it's not, then he won't? Oh, no. You better open your mouth and say something. Why? You're speaking life. You're not trying to say, Camden, I'm going to control you, and you can't go across the street unless I'm there because I control your life. No, what you're saying is, Camden, get out the road because the car's coming and you will die. And what I'm saying brings life to you. Come on now, ain't that good? So when God speaks, he speaks out of his nature, which is love, because 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. Not that he knows love, he, he knows about love, but he is love itself. And so when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, then the love of God's been shed abroad in our heart. And when God speaks, he speaks out of love, and his words are love and life. So when he says, Adam, don't eat the fruit, really what he's saying is, I don't want to be separated from you. I love you. I care about you. This ain't about making your own decision. This is about telling you things that will keep life. I mean, Joshua, golly, Joshua had to tell the whole nation of Israel. He said, listen, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, now I'm going to ask you, I'm going to set before you life and choose. Why has he got to tell them? You think that is a no-brainer. That one we should know. That one is I'm getting life. But it's amazing how many people choose death. Okay. So then we have to define right here out the gate, right here in Genesis, it defines sin. See, what's happened is a lot of times when we start interpreting the Bible based upon traditions, we'll skip the Genesis portion and we'll get to the Moses portion when we start talking about the law and people will start looking at sin as thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not fornicate, thou shalt not. And it gets in a bunch of not stuff, which seems like a bunch of rules. And then we get into justification. Well, the only reason I didn't tell my mom that I went and done this because really if she heard the truth, it hurt her heart. And really I was just, you know, trying to protect her. And it's really not bad. It's just a little white lie anyway. Like that's a holy lie. <laughs> right? No, the devil's a liar and he's been a liar from the beginning. And a white lie is just the devil wrapped in angel's clothing. Amen? And liars have no part in the kingdom of God. None. None at all. Well, we want to have life with us. And so we recognize then this separation or what we call sin. Because remember, Romans tells us the wages of sin is, what is it? It's death. So really we need to ask the question, then really what is sin in its simplest form? I'm sure Pastor Mark's told you, so I'm probably repeating what he said, but that's okay. Because sin is just simply disobeying what God says. Period. It's not about a Ten Commandments. Because he has a lot more than ten in one sense. You understand? He has a lot more than ten. He really has just two. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it. And Jesus modified it. Because when they came to Jesus, he said, what's the saying? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Later on, Jesus says, I changed that one and said this. He said, love your neighbor as I loved you. Now, that's different. Because when you love people like Jesus loved us... That's the God kind of love we're applying. Amen? And when we apply the principle of love, which is life, then we're applying God. So here's the thing. If the Lord, in, in practicality, look going down to the new sports, sports authority. That's a beautiful building. You know, I didn't get to go in there yesterday, but I was thinking about it. And so you're going through the sports authority thinking you're just picking up a soccer ball for your child or, or flags for, you know, for the flag football league or whatever the case may be. And the Lord speaks to you in your inner man and says, see that person over there by the basketballs? Yes, sir. I need you to go talk to him about me. That was me. That was just me. 
like I'm just talking to myself, you know. And then they come around the corner and you get all clammy and, 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 and you know what I'm saying, your sweat starts going because your heart's beating real because the Lord's prompting you to talk to someone on his behalf. Amen? Now, and then you don't do it. Now, what is that called? It's not called confusion. It's called a sin. I'm going to break that down for you. Ready? It's called a sin. See, we don't see sin that way because typically we try to categorize it and live lives of justification. But sin is disobeying God. If God moves by unction to stir you to talk to someone on his behalf, then you need to yield to the Spirit and operate that way. How about this one? Let me give you this one. There was this guy that was on the planet one day, and um, God was in him and talking to him. In fact, God was well pleased with this particular individual. And then finally the Lord speaks to him on the inside and says, Listen, I need you to go find this enemy and go hang out with them. Now, this person didn't say, that ain't God. Surely God wouldn't want me to go talk to people that hate me. Surely God wouldn't want me to be around somebody that wants my life. That's not God. Well, it was God. His name was Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After he was baptized by John the Baptist, came up, and the, the heavens opened up, and the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. He says, verse 1 of the fourth chapter of Matthew, he said, And then Jesus, being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. God the Father told the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus to take Jesus out into the wilderness to find the God of this world so that he can show Jesus how powerful he is with the Holy Ghost, with the Spirit of God upon him how he can overcome any temptation the devil can throw. That's powerful. But Jesus had to listen to what the Spirit of God was saying. So when Satan came at him with temptations and says, you know, and, and throws some things, oh, you're hungry, man, you're hungry. Why don't you go ahead and command him rock to be bread? He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word. What, what did he say? He didn't respond based upon his hunger pains. He responded based upon what he heard God say to the enemy. And every time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Amen? And at that last temptation recorded in Matthew, when he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll just, what, bow down and worship me. Jesus said, it is written. Isn't that powerful? Because he responded to what God is saying because what God says is life. And we are going to get in situations in this world because of Genesis chapter 2, there is a great separation that we live in. That has taken place. Four degrees of separation. The first one is this. Genesis 2.16 says, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you'll eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat it, you will surely die. We know that Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, was tempted by the serpent to eat this fruit. This serpent comes up to Eve and says, Eve, listen, you can't eat from any tree in the garden, can you? He don't even know the truth. He don't even know what's going on. He's having to ask questions. He's insinuating, well, God won't let you eat anything. I mean, you're just starving to death down here, aren't you? And she's like, no, nah, man. I mean, we can eat of any fruit of the garden. But now this one tree we can't because the day we eat it, we're going to die. And the servant says, oh, because he says, oh, that's what God said. Okay, I got the word of God now. Okay, now I'm a liar, so I'm fixing to turn that, that truth into a lie. See, all lies have a root in truth. All lies have some. If you follow it back to when it first came, it has a, a root in truth somewhere. That's why it's so deceptive. Because it sounds, oh, okay, yeah, maybe that is. I mean, if you're watching any of the debates now, 
I mean, what is truth? I'm like Pilate, man. What is truth, man? One to say, hey, it's like this, that, and the other, and they blow out a bunch of statistics and all this stuff. Then the next one come up and say this, and you're trying to figure out, wow, where are we at here? Who is talking right? I mean, and then you go and start watching, you know, having to, because you can't go to just any news station at all, man. I mean, I don't care whether you're a Fox, a Fox fan or whether you're a CNN fan. I'm telling you right now, you better get somewhere and find truth because you need to hear the Holy Ghost because it's all moving in a direction that's, that's uh, good for them. But you can find, you can hear. If you, if you vote based upon character, based upon the Word of God, it won't take long to figure out who to vote for. And you need to be registered to vote, and you need to have a voice. I'll just go ahead and put that plug right there. Because I can't tell you who to vote for, but I shouldn't have to. If you're a believer and you read the Word, it should be obvious who Jesus would vote for. Amen? What kind of characters and morals that he would do. Amen? And the church of Jesus Christ should speak. We're in a democracy. So you need to throw out, well, God's in control. He'll control it. No, he gave us the ability to vote for it. I was, a, I was appalled in St. John's County. 19% of registered voters in St. John's County voted during the primary. You know what that tells me? A minority of people in the county in Florida let people decide their lives. How silly is that? And I know right now, if people who profess Christ as their personal Savior and would actually look at his moral conduct and character, I tell you right now, we would be in another place. But we bought the law of separation of church and state, meaning, oh, we can't talk about our beliefs. Listen, everybody's making decisions on a belief. Even atheists have a belief that there is no God. That is a religion. It's called atheism. It is a religion. And they make decisions based upon... Evolution is a religion. There's no evidence based upon billions upon billions of years that they say it took for the world to come around. They're basing it upon speculation. There's no evidence. I mean, you have to believe more, and that's harder to believe than somebody made it. I'm telling you that right now. Because everything came together like over billions of years, then finally one thing got right. How does it stay in alignment? How does all these things that got perfect stay perfect? I mean, there's nothing all of a sudden out of the marsupial, you know, primordial soup. Something happened, and then that just happened, and then the next thing happened. But all of a sudden, it, now that it happened, it, won't, it can't go bad. Seriously? It takes more faith than that. It's a religion. And people are making decisions based upon their belief systems all the time. Well, you need, is the word truth? Come on, is the word truth? Okay, we'll prove it here in a bit. Amen. So there's a God of this world now. Genesis, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, let me show you the scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 said this. It says this. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is... The image of God. Now, this is important. Because right out the gate, I don't know how many years Adam's been on the planet, but Adam fails by eating the fruit that Eve's tempted. She's listened to a lie. She eats the fruit. She gives it to her husband. And so what before, you know, was I just obey God. When they eat the fruit, all of a sudden they try to make rationality in their mind 
they start to go to their soul realm. Their soul realm becomes their leader instead of their spirit. And now they're trying to make decisions that are outside of God. They're trying to cover themselves up. They're hiding from the Lord. See, when sin enters in, when separation comes, you don't want to be around God. You don't want to be around God. See, this is why, you know, people invite people to church and something they don't want to come. Well, it could be that there's just sin in their life. That's why it's hard for them to show up. Unless they go to a place they don't talk about sin, then you know what? You're just really going to a, a social club. But, you know, this great separation took place. Humanity has been separated from God. Do you see this? Man has fallen. Adam doesn't lose a religion, but he lost access to the kingdom of God. There's no relationship now. And now the Lord here in Genesis has to put in a, put in a plan to redeem humanity, to get them reconnected because they've been separated. From here on out, humanity's separated from God. They're separated. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's this great separation that's taking place. But God in His mercy and in His love, because He gave an assignment to humanity to rule on the planet, says, I'm going to go back in the form of a man because I can't come back illegal. I've got to come back in the way I said. I gave dominion to man, so I've got to take it back as a man. So he said, I'm going to bring the seed of a woman, not man, because now Adam, every time he produces seed, it's of his father, the devil. Jesus talked about how the, the offspring of the devil, how they are sons of disobedience. What's that mean? They simply take up thoughts that are contrary to God. Okay? They're living their life on their own, separated from the Word of God. And so he puts in place, he said, I'm going to bring a seed out of the woman. And he told the devil, he said, he will crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. He's coming. And you know what? He didn't come the next week. Eve didn't conceive because she couldn't, obviously. She was already had, you know, children. You know, uh, or, well, I mean, they talk about it later. But, um, you know, they have already consummated, so she wasn't a virgin. Now, she could have had a daughter and Jesus could have came with her, but it didn't happen. So, but in the fullness of time, Jesus shows up in a woman named Mary. And from there, he is the Son of God, and he came for a purpose, which is our second degree of separation, which is separation from darkness. Now there was a separation from God, the first thing, which caused God to come and do an act so he can re-separate people from darkness. So I call it the separation of separation, separate from separation. You were first separated from God, now get separated from darkness so you can be realigned to God. Amen. Do we all need to be born again? Yeah. Amen. I think we believe that. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says this, Jesus, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us or conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of his love. Amen. He transferred. That word conveyed means he transferred us into what? The kingdom. Into the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, when does that take place? Does that take place when we die out of this body that we finally get to God's kingdom? Or was that the day we got born again? The minute you've been delivered from the power of darkness, you are transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Look at what this says here in verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Do we have the forgiveness of sin now? Has Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave? Has He paid the price for all humanity's debt? Yes, once and for all, he's that sacrifice. He did that. It's done. It is finished. And when we call on the name of the Lord and, and ask him to be Lord of our lives, when we believe that he died on the cross and the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, 
dead three in three days, we become children of God, the spirit man that was dead, separated, lost, cut off from God. It passes away, and behold, all things become new. The Bible tells us this. We become a new creature in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Praise God for that. We be, get separated from darkness and come back to the light. We're transferred out of the domain or power, the domain which is rulership, the rulership of the enemy. Everything you think is coming from an unseen realm, period, period. Everything you think, your thoughts are not independent from somewhere. You don't think on your own. Why do you stop at a stop sign? Because somebody told you that's what you do. You didn't come up on that on your own. You've been trained as a child, different things. Thoughts that pop in your head came from so. And just think about it. How does that happen? Here you are walking along and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a thought. Amen. There's a thought. Something pops back in your head. Where does that come from? I mean, how in the world do these cell phones get conversation? Where do they come from? They come from sound waves, right? You don't see them. Right now, if all of us had the capacity of tapping into any phone number we wanted to, there are so many voices going on in this room right now, we don't even hear it or see it, but they're talking. All we got to do is dial into it. That's all we got to do. If someone calls your phone right now, because you may not have it on silent, you know, during the service, say someone calls you or it vibrates or you realize, okay, so I just got a call. You know what? If you would have hit, you know, accept or whatever, all of a sudden that voice that's somewhere here would have, entered, would have, would have uh, made its voice known in, in, the, um, in this auditorium. It exists. I mean, I'm talking to people in St. Augustine. It's traveling all the way, two and a half hours away, to here, getting through a little device. Well, in the spirit realm, it's easy for the enemy. And once he trains you and conditions your flesh to look and see things a certain way, you'll always see them that way. Always. Always. You'll see them that way. Because why? The world, in its first degree of separation, lost the mind of God. Lost the thoughts of God. Lost the ways of God. And man then took up a different thought. That's why the God of this world is blinding our eyes to the light of the gospel. See, light means um, illumination or understanding. Darkness goes to ignorance. So when the Bible talks about you're in darkness, really what it's saying is you're ignorant about God's ways. Now that doesn't mean you're stupid. That just means you're ignorant. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. I mean, how many of you ever gone down the road one day and the police officer pulls you over and says, excuse me, do you realize you were speeding? And you honestly could say, no. You didn't see the sign. You were ignorant of what it is. Now, does that excuse you from getting a ticket? It doesn't. If they choose through their mercy, not grace, but mercy to let you off, that's on them. That's on them. But they may not. They say, well, oh, well. You were, and here's your ticket. And then you may say, I'm going to find out if that's true, and you start running that highway looking for that sign, and then you see it, and you go, oh, my. Right? You're ignorant. Maybe you were texting at the time you went by that speed limit. Right? Amen. Okay. So the Lord comes to want to get us out of this darkness, out of these 
thoughts that hinder us from understanding God. And I'm going to tell you right now, it really depends on how long you've lived prior to knowing Jesus. How many of y'all have kids in here, little ones that are next door? You're doing a great thing for your kids. Which means they're not having to, you're training them not to see things the way the world is. They have the greatest advantage. They're seeing things not the way the world is. So that when they get out in the world, they're not as easily influenced by these thoughts because what they see isn't real to them. What God says is more real. See, heaven and earth will pass away, but the Bible says that His Word will never pass away. Faith is, now faith is the substance of things, what? Hope for the evidence of things not seen. This is a daunting task that we're in right now. It's because we live in a world that does not look like God intended it. This is the problem. This is the big problem. Because faith requires us to live by what we hear from the Word of God, not by what we see. Amen. And that's a different existence, which is contrary to the world. See, the devil is so successful in keeping people off is because he can, he's manifest, he, his seen realm always shows death. You see death everywhere. It's always manifesting. And, and that just seems, that's it. This is, I mean, this is how it is. This is how it is. Yet God's Word can supersede that. God's Word can change circumstances. I mean, man should not be able to walk on water. Why did Jesus and Peter do so? Water should not listen to man, but how come Moses can hold up a staff and it part? How can Elijah uh, uh, speak to a brook and it splits, and then Elisha comes back with his mantle and slaps it and it splits again? How can a man, a man, now because Jesus was the son of man, he had the dominion that Adam lost. Every miracle Jesus did is attached to the earth. It attached to his dominion. There's nothing Jesus did that was outside the dominion given to the first Adam. Because Jesus is called the last Adam. Think about it. He said this. He said, you know, we need to feed these people. And they said, well, Jesus, what you want us to do, man? You want us to go and buy a whole bunch of bread for these? I mean, my gosh, man. There's about 200 denarius to be able to pull that off. He said, no, just find out what we have. So they find this little boy with his lunch, five loaves and two fish. And the Lord says, sit them down in groups of tens, fifties, and hundreds. And he has them all sit down. And he said, then he blesses it and then starts to distribute it to his 12 disciples. And and this two fish and these five loaves all of a sudden feed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children because it took care of them too. And then they pick up all the leftovers, which are 12 large baskets full, and take it to the boy's house. How does this happen? Well, because he's God. No, he's God in the flesh. He's all man, and he walked in the dominion of man because he blessed bread, which is grain, and that's from the earth. Fish that man had dominion over. He told Adam, he says, you have rule or dominion over the fish of the sea. How is it that Jesus is going to need to pay taxes? And Peter says, what are we going to do about paying these taxes? And the Lord says, listen... We need to pay the tax, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to go fishing, Peter. You know about fishing, right? You go and take your line and put it in, not a net, go take a line. Put it down in the water. I don't know if it even has bait on it for that matter, but he puts his line in. He says, the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and it has the tax for you and me, which tells us that that fish, when the Lord spoke that, who has dominion over the fish of the sea, went down into the water and started looking for the money and picked it up and then went around and started looking for Peter's hook and said, oh, there it is. 
That happened. And it didn't happen because he's Jesus only. It happens because he has dominion over the earth. And he take. I'm assuming it was a catch and release. If not, if not, the greatest reward that fish could have ever done has been fed to the king. Amen? Amen. So these things have to do with earth stuff. He rebukes the winds and the waves. That's in the earth. He does this. He casts out de devils and demons. Why? Because they took care of the devil when he was in the, in the heaven realm and cast him out down to the earth. This is why when the devil showed up in, in the form of the serpent and tempted Eve, you understand what he wants, the same thing he wanted in heaven, which is God to bow down and worship him. So when he sees Adam and Eve, he says, those people look a lot like God. And they did because they were in the image of God. And he got Adam to bow down to his thoughts, his ways of doing things, not to his religion, to his rulership is what Adam bowed down to. That's why when he finds Jesus and they're out in the wilderness, you understand it's the same thing. He's not taking Jesus to the high pinnacle and saying, look at Islam, look at Buddhism, look at Hinduism. Which God do you want to worship, my son? I mean, what about the Baal over here? You could have this. How do you know your religion? He didn't tell him about religions. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Why? Look at all this that I rule. I, as the God of this world, or king of this world, ruler, that I got from Adam, I will give it to you, but you must what? That's what you do before kings. See, now we're in a democracy. So we don't know nothing about this. But the Bible's not a democracy. Which makes it a whole nother daunting task for us as believers because we view the Bible through a democratic mindset. This is why we have denominations everywhere. Because I choose this part of the Bible, and I take this out, because that's weird. It's weird to my flesh, you know. I, why? Because I'm used to seeing it this way. You know, why? Because you, you see this, and you accept this as more real than this. I mean, like the, the subject of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what evidence is speaking in tongues. It's amazing how many people go, and they will pull all this stuff out, which is amazing. You need to take out all of 1st uh, and 2nd Corinthians. You need to take out Romans. You need to take out Galatians, Ephesians, 1st uh, and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd uh, Thessalonians, um, Titus. If you believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, take that one out as well. Pull that. Colossians, get it out of there. Philippians, gone. Why? Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, I pray in tongues more than y'all. And you're preaching from a tongue talker. Now, it shouldn't be weird because, I mean, I live in Florida, man, and in Florida, there's all kinds of languages. And when I go to Super Walmart, I don't freak out because somebody says, Como esta usted? Muy bien. I don't have this cow. I don't go, dude, they got a devil, man. No, I know they speak another language from a different nation. really not weird well why wouldn't the lord want us to speak his language especially since there's still an enemy in the earth i mean even even our own nation realizes the necessity of encoded messages and encrypted messages why so the enemy don't know what we're saying see when you start talking the language of god satan don't understand what that is in fact you don't even know till the holy ghost reveals it to you but it's there for your benefit not to scare you off and say oh we'll just take that out 
I'm preaching better in this front row. So amen to me right now. <laughs> amen? God's good. I'm telling you, why? This world is not like God intended it. See, because Adam fell, there is such a huge separation from God that we are so motivated by what we see. Yet God has this, uh, this daunting task to show back up in a planet, redeem back the authority for man, give man a new spirit, man, that can hear God in that realm again, and then require man to live a way opposite from what he sees in the earth. This is why few will enter. Narrow is the gate. And when I say narrow, I'm not just talking about you made Jesus. Because you understand, there's a whole lot to going on uh, after you've made Jesus Lord of your life. Now, when I say that, it's not of any works at all. But there is a work to do after Jesus. Amen? Because from here, we get this, Jesus comes back to separate us, give us the second degree, to separate us from darkness. Then what he does, number three, the third degree of separation, is because you become a child of God, he enables you to separate from the world. Now, with that being said, John chapter 17, Jesus in his prayer says this. He says, Lord, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them from the evil one. He said, they're not of this world as I'm not of this world. So separation doesn't mean he wants us to lead a planet. The last thing he wants us to do is go buy a bunch of land and um, this county and us get a whole bunch of houses and we become a Christian community and only believers can live there. That's not what God asked us to do. God asked us to influence the world with his love. But we don't live like them. We don't think like them. And I know Pastor Mark's minister from this uh, passage of Scripture. We'll go there together again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. It says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 17, therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. A great separation from God took place with Adam. All humanity has fallen. Jesus comes in the fullness of time. And according to 1 John 3, 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. He destroyed the works so that we could be separated from darkness and gone back to light. We can have the light of God in us, the love of God, the life of God. We can reconnect with that realm that exists. I'm, I, I just want to make it real plain. And... Religions made things complicated, but if you really keep it in context of what the Bible is, which is really just about a kingdom, the whole thing's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. That's all it is. If you read it, you're going to see this. You really take time to look at it. Because when Jesus, when, when God's going through, he says, I'm going to send my son. From there, he's on the planet looking for somebody and finds Abram. In Genesis 12, if you read that, he says, Abram, I'm going to cut covenant with you. He says, and I'm going to make you a great... He didn't say religion. He said, I'll make you a great nation. And whoever blesses you, be blessed. Whoever curses you, be cursed. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. At this point, he is ruling a, a, a nation of people. We have Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac beget Jacob. Jacob wrestled with the Lord. We change his name to Israel. And Israel has 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. 
We go through all kind of things that take place. He delivers them out of another nation of Egypt, which represents sin or darkness. That nation is delivered. And he's ruling them in the wilderness. They disobeyed him. So a whole generation dies in the wilderness in 40 years, and he still takes their kids into the promised land. And through a course of time and different judges, you understand, finally the people once again started looking at what they saw, and they go to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and says, Man, we want a king over us that we can see. And Samuel says, Man, you don't want that. No. Because why? The Lord, he'll fight your battles. He'll do it all, man. Let him be king. He, he created the planet, man. No, no, we need a man. So the Lord tells them, and you can read it for yourself in 1 Samuel chapter 8. The Lord says, Samuel, give them what they want. They haven't rejected you, but they've rejected me as their king. God called himself that. Ecclesiastes, right, concerning the Lord that uh, God the Father says, where the word of the king is, there's power. From there he gave him Saul. Saul didn't do a very good job. From there he looked at the Lord himself, looks for a man after his own heart, and he gets King David. King David is the type and shadow of the Messiah, Jesus. Isaiah prophesies about a king that's going to sit on the throne of David. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. He says, a child will be given to us, a son will be born. Who is that? Everybody says it's Jesus. Then it goes on and says, and the government shall rest on their shoulders. Doesn't say religion. It says the government. The government shall rest on their shoulder. And, and he'll be called eternal father, uh, prince of peace, and uh, wonderful counselor. And then verse 7 says, and there'll be no end to the increase of his government. Daniel prophesies about a government that's going to show up. There's this whole idol that comes up, and it starts with uh, um, the Babylon kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, and it goes through the next progressive ones, getting to the Roman one, and then all of a sudden, because Jesus was born in the fullness of time during the Roman government, and a rock comes out, another kingdom comes out that's made without hands, and it crushes the feet, and the, all of them fall down, and then that rock ends up taking over the whole planet. It's always been about a kingdom, the whole thing. Then when you finally get into Matthew and we start getting the line of Jesus, he's born, all the shepherds come and worship him because it says peace, goodwill towards men, peace on the earth, goodwill towards men. Why? Because when this son was born, it said there'll be no end to the, to the increase of his government or of peace. So he's... So peace is in the planet available, though Jesus himself didn't always bring peace. He brought truth, and truth opposes a lie. Then Jesus, a taller and wise man from the east, show up with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because we're fixing to have this here in December. You understand the nativity, that they weren't there at the nativity. It's just good for selling, okay? They came a couple years later. They go to the king, Herod, and said, hey, in Jerusalem, and say, listen, we've come to find the leader of Christianity. No, we came to find the king of the Jews. They came looking for a government man. Now, Herod's thinking, dude, I don't know who you're talking about. So at this point, you know, understand, he's like, we're going to kill this kid who's claiming to be king fold his guys in and say, you know, they said there was one that was going to be coming. It's been prophesied of a Messiah. A Messiah has to do with rulership, has to do with the king of Israel. It's a government word. It's not a religious word. And he says, listen, uh, they said it'd be in Bethlehem. So he tells the wise men, go down to Bethlehem, find him. And after you find him, come back and tell me, and I'll, I want to worship him too. So what do the kings do? They find him in Bethlehem, and they present their gifts. And what do those wise men do? Why? Because that's what you do to kings. But the Spirit of God by an angel says, don't go the same way you came. They left, and then he ends up getting Joseph and, and Jesus and Mary out of town, and then Herod comes through and kills every kid, two and younger. 
Why does he do that? Because he don't want the king to take over his government. And in Jesus, and after he is tempted of the devil, and again, the temptation that the devil did to Jesus, the last one recorded in Matthew, had to do with giving him all the kingdoms of the world. The devil knows it has to do with the kingdom. The devil understands this is about rulership. That's what this is about. And so Jesus, you know, um, goes through all the temptations, successfully goes, he flees and looks for another time to kill him, and he comes out and he preaches his first message, recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and Jesus says this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, word repent is not a religious word. It means change your thinking. Obviously, because we've seen the world not as God originally designed it, and the king has shown up in the planet whose dad made heaven and earth and says there's another way to live. But if you're going to live, you've got to change the way you think because you've got to obey what I say. Because here's the thing. I am in the earth now. The spirit of the kingdom that's in the unseen realm is here, and it's going to manifest. He, When he was casting out demons, and they got mad at him and said, Man, you cast out demons in the name of Beelzebub. He said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. He says, If I cast out devils, then you know the kingdom is in your midst. Which means what? The spiritual authority or the authority of the word of that king still resonates in the planet. Right now, though, our president who is in, I don't know where he's at right now because he's campaigning, but let's say for, for illustration, he's in Washington, D.C. He's sitting at the White House, and all of a sudden an attack comes on the United States, and they know exactly where it's from. That president, the commander-in-chief, does not have to be personally present in Valdosta, Georgia, to send an order down to, to activate all the reserves of Moody Air Force Base and tell them, you are now going tomorrow. He don't have to show up and say, listen, now, I need you to... He don't have to talk to them. He don't have to be personally... All he has to do is give his word. And they will act, they will mobilize at a word of their commander-in-chief. The authority that he possesses transcends and goes through. Everybody knows the president is President Barack Obama, and he has called it the military to active service. They have, And I'm telling you, I don't care how much you love your husband. I don't care how much you love your wife. If they are part of the military, they will tell you bye, and they will go. If they say, I ain't going to do what he says, they call that AWOL. They, they will put them in prison. But what we do is we look at the Bible through democracy and say, well, Jesus. And Jesus says, do something. And we like, well, I don't know. Let's negotiate. There's no negotiation because what he says is life. You want to do what he says because if he says, hey, do this and do that. And listen, I love you. And I need you to stay separated from that because that stuff right there cuts off my life. This is why we do these things. This is why I love God so much. This is why I lay down my life for God, because He laid down His life for me and gave me life. That's why He heals my body. I mean, there's a health care system in the kingdom. Everything that we have need of, God has provided for us. And that makes it more real. The Bible tells us, Paul writing, he says, your citizenship is written in heaven. Citizenship is, is national stuff. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are government employees that represent a government that is not in the land physically. Dude, that's so good. And, I, and here's the thing. The Lord's take care of the planet. 
He's he going to burn it all up and create a new one. What he's doing is he's trying to buy your property. See, man was formed out of the dust of the earth. He wants to take ownership of your property. You want him to own you. The word Lord is not even a religious word. It means supreme authority. Supreme authority. The closest thing we got in understanding is the landlord here. And we are land. And you want Jesus to be Lord of it. Because see, when Jesus comes to your property, he will fix it. He'll fix it, man. He's the greatest investor on the face of the planet. When he goes in, he'll clean out all the pollutants. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, if there's been any, if, you, if your life's been a dumping ground, if all the world's done is, is put its pollutants on you, he will take all of the toxins out and get to the treasure that's embedded within you. And your, you will be the greatest gift to humanity. You understand, some property people love to go to. I don't know why, but people are compelled to come to Florida all the time. They come to Florida all the time, and they come to Florida in a couple of different places. Some where it's the worst land. I don't think you can grow cotton on the beach. I don't think it's possible. It's pretty worthless property. But in the scene realm, we think it's gorgeous. And that property value is a lot different than the middle of the state where you can actually grow stuff and give it away to humanity. The beach is the most selfish place you can be in the sense of it doesn't produce anything. It's only for the person who's sitting on it. Now, I love the beach. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the water. But you understand as far as the value of the land. Yet, people also go down to a place called the Magic Kingdom. Why is that property so valuable? Because somebody had a vision of the land. Somebody said, we can build a castle here, and we can do this, 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 and this. They had a vision of a property. Because, see, he'd done it in California and realized, I ain't got enough land. So he went to Florida, started buying it up without them knowing. He started buying it under different corporations so they didn't understand it was one person owning all of it. And now we have Disney World. That's literally Disney World. It's everywhere. And people flock to it. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because... There's a kingdom draw. And they don't understand it's the king of kings that they really need. You see this. Okay, number three again. He tells us to come out from their midst, meaning once we, we were first separated from God, then because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, we can become separated from darkness, which means now we're alive to God again. But now that we're alive to God, we're still on the planet. And because we're on the planet, we've got to change the way we think. So he says you need to separate yourself from the thinking of the world. Be different. We act different. We live different. Why? Because we have the life of God. Colossians 3, 1 through 10, they'll put up the New King James Version, but I'm going to read out the Message Bible so it won't sound like this. But look what it says. This is the message. It says it this way. So if you're serious about living this new resurrected life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ, that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. 
when Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of uh, thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff not knowing any better. But, na- but, you now, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put, on, put in the fire. Now you're dressed in the new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Isn't that powerful? So what the Lord does, called grace, empowers you to live for Him. See, there's a saving grace, and I won't have time to get in this teaching. Pastor Mark can do that himself and probably have already uh, touched on it. But there's a saving grace, which we call unmerited favor. That means you should have died in your sin and trespasses and been eternally separated God. But God, being rich in his mercy, caused Jesus to take on your payment and penalty so that through your confession of faith that he's Lord, you could become born again. So it's by grace, through faith, you've been saved. But that's not the end work of grace. Because at this point, now that grace is imputed to you, now there's a powering grace, meaning a grace to live above the way the world lives and a way the, the world thinks, which means you can think like God thinks. You can act like God thinks. You can stand in the midst of issues. When you've done all to stand, you can stand. You can actually live the word and it work. When you want to bust that guy upside the head because he's talking about your kids, you cannot and walk in love. When symptoms hit your body and tell you you're going to die, you can say, no, by his stripes I'm healed and stand in faith and, and, stand, and the empowering part of grace can cause healing to manifest in your body. When you don't have a job and everybody talks about the economy and how bad it is, but as a child of God, you can actually get somewhere and make influence because it's not about you getting a job to make money. It's about you getting in front of people to influence them with the kingdom. They pay you to talk about God. You say, well, oh, I can't talk about God in my work because they'll fire me. Then lift him. And that will talk. And you'll find places in private somewhere where they'll pull you and say, how come it is it's things so different with you? How come you're always full of joy? How come none of this stuff rattles you? Because I know Jesus. He's my king. I live in his rulership. I live among his kingdom. I'm a citizen of his place. See, I'm just passing through. And all of his resources from his realm make this way to me. That's why Jesus said, you know, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy will be on. Well, if he wants his will done on earth as it is in heaven, then that must mean we can find out what his will is in heaven so that it would change earth. That's novel. Most of us don't take time to read the Bible or pray or even ask the Lord. And then we just chalk it up. Well, he'll do what he wants to do because he's God. Don't put him in that. You're you, a child of God who can hear daddy. I mean, if one of my kids came to me and I told them, I need you to take the trash out. Your son is to take the trash out of the car. You understand what I'm saying? And then I go through and the trash is still there. 
son, what's the problem? Oh, Dad, your your ways are higher than my ways, and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I just, you know, what you're in control, and you know, if you wanted that stuff done, I told you, I've delegated the authority. It's your responsibility. Act on it. It's your part to play in this now. Amen. So the first degree of separation is that we were separated from God. The second degree of separation is that God allowed, made a way so that we would be separated from darkness. Then the third degree of separation is that God empowered us to be separated from the things of the world. And the fourth degree of separation, and this is powerful. It's powerful because this is where you want to get. See, it's in the third degree of separation that a, a, something starts to take place so that you can get to the fourth. The third thing, that, the thing that takes place in the third where you separate from the world, which means you start doing God's general will. General. What I mean by that is you don't fornicate anymore. Everybody doesn't fornicate because that's a general will of God. You are to come together in covenant marriage. We, we don't commit adultery. Why? Because it brings death. We, we stay in the covenant of marriage. That's general. We don't lie. That's Everybody's supposed to. We honor our mother and our father. That's general. We become uh, uh, people of character and integrity in our place of business. Everybody has these things. These are general things. We are to walk by faith. Everybody's to walk by faith. General. Everyone. And if you're faithful with that, then God can get you to the fourth degree of separation. But if you don't get that right, you'll never get to this fourth degree. And I'm going to tell you right now, few people do. Few people do. Few people do because they're not successful in just applying his general will. The fourth degree of separation is this. Separated for the assignment. God placed you in the planet for a purpose, not just to be born, not just to breathe. He placed you to change things. You were placed on the planet not to serve yourself, but to serve him and change humanity. Yeah, heaven and earth is going to pass away. Sure, sin's going to continue its course. But we have a responsibility to sow seed. We have, and I'm, I've said this, I say this in prison when we go to prison. I tell, I tell them, I said, today I am your prosecuting, uh, I am your defense attorney today, right now. I am your defense attorney. I'm doing everything I can to defend your life before God by bringing the Word of God to you so that if you'll call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. I am talking to you about your record. I'm telling you Jesus has saved you. He has paid your penalty. He has gone to prison for you, and you are free. Today I am your defending uh, defense attorney. I'm doing everything I can to get you off. But if you resist what I say today and you die, then this same man will become your prosecuting attorney. Because the Lord will open up all, and he'll say, when I had a defense attorney on the earth defending for your life, now everything he said becomes the prosecuting attorney that lets me look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. So in one realm, I'm defending. In the next realm, all that I sowed into a person by the word of God to see them changed now comes against them. The Lord will say, you're without excuse. I sent Pastor Earl by you and gave you the word of God. And then I spoke to you by my spirit when he was talking to change your life, that you need to repent and make Jesus Lord of your life. And look, right here, you resisted that. He came every month. He and a whole team, they kept talking and preaching and ministering, talking about my love. Kept trying to defend your life, trying to get you out. But all you did was resist it and didn't want to take anything they said. So those attorneys have brought a good case against you now 
and depart from me. I never knew you. And you'll be cast into the lake of fire where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Which I never wanted for you. At all. You chose to go there. See, people make this argument. So, well, if God's such a loving God, he never sent anyone to hell. He doesn't. They choose to go. They fight hard on the planet to resist him so that they can be away from him, and he gives them what they want. In the end, you get what you want. You either are with God or you're without him. It's up to you. You couldn't have got to him without him. Once he made the provision, you've got to make the decision. All right, we're closing down here. Number four, separate from or separate for the assignment. Look at this in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and they give a list of them. Okay? And Saul is one of them. Barnabas is one of them. Saul now is actually who gets a new name, Paul. Verse 2, As they were ministering, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, what? For the work to which I have... Whose work is it? Whose work is it? It's the Lord's work. And who's calling them? He is. It's not that Barnabas and Saul said, we're going to do this for God. No, God said, this is what you're going to do for me. <laughs> Come on now. This is where you want to get to. You want to get separated unto God for the reason you came to the planet. Because the greatest thing you can do in this earth is find God's will for your life. The greatest thing. 1 Corinthians 13, talking about the Bible, I love verse 18 because I'm a pastor. You understand? I'm over church just like Pastor Mark is over this church. It says, God places us in the body where it pleases Him. He places us there. Then He goes on and says, not everybody's an arm. He said, the arm can't say to the foot, I don't have need of you. We need everybody. And understand, arms are different than feet. So that scripture cannot mean that God just wants people born again and they're placed in the body. No, born again gives you access to the body, and then he places you in it where it pleases him. Where it pleases him, not you. I didn't pick to be a pastor. He picked me. He picked me. Which means this, then I can't be fired. Hallelujah. No boars going to get together and run me out of town. No demons in hell going to run me out of town. I will stand. Because if the Lord's for me, who can... And the same with you. If you'll get in your fit and your assignment, if you will do God's general will, if you will separate from darkness, if you will separate from the world, if you'll give yourself to God, then there's going to come a time that He's going to look and say, I've got a purpose for you. You've made yourself useful for the Master's work. You've become more than a common vessel in the house of the Master. You are like silver and gold. Now, you've been tried. You've gone through trials and tribulation. You have been purified. Now, I've got to work for you. When I say I'm not talking called to fivefold ministry, I'm saying you just may be called to do media for this ministry. You may be called to put, put together um, outreaches in this city. There's no telling. You may be called to start your own business so that you can hire employees and show them how God is. There's no telling. But you're connected to the body. You're connected to the church. And you want to get to that point. Because life living outside of God's will, purpose, and intent isn't worth living. The reason why Paul was so successful, he said this when he was done. He said, I fought the good fight. I've ran my race. I've finished my course. 
Galatians 1.15, Paul said this, But when it pleased God who separated me, look, from my mother's womb and called me through His grace. Acts was the time the Lord talked to them about the separation, but the separation for His work was prepared right out the womb. Which tells me this, everybody in this room, before you came to the planet, before your mom pushed you through and you breathed your first breath. Anybody praying in here besides Pastor Meredith? Okay, just checking. Because we just had a little baby. But Pastor Meredith is with child. (laughs) And God already has this child's life ordained. Before the foundations of the world. The Lord wants to make himself known to this child and show this child its purpose. See, nobody knows you better than the one who created you. When you get a new TV, you get an iPad, you get a telephone, you get a new vehicle. If something ain't working, you can try to figure it out yourself, and most men do. But if we go to this little book called the owner's manual that comes from the manufacturer, they'll tell you what its intent is. I like what one author wrote. The person who created the refrigerator did not design it to be a death trap. But people have died in refrigerators because they threw them out and they didn't take the doors off and little kids closed in them because they thought it was a great place to hide and they died. It was never designed to kill. It was designed to give longer life to food. It was created so that humanity could be sustained with food longer. It would have a longer shelf life than without it. The manufacturer knows its original intent. God made the planet, and God made you. And He knows what's best for your life. Quit trying to do it on your own. Start seeking Him. Get into His kingdom. Get away from the way the world does, and the only way you do it is by staying in this. If you're not reading the Bible, He says, do you love me? He asked Him, He said, do you love me? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my word. You know, a lot of people say, well, I love you, Jesus, I love you, and they never read the Bible. They show up to a place and hear somebody and they're really disconnected when they're hearing anyway because they're not applying anything they hear. But we are to read the Word, study the Word, seek the Word, know that this is God speaking to us, our King. And we submit our lives to it. And in doing so, yep, we're going to have trials and tribulations. The world's always going to try to tell us we're we're liars. It's not going to work. It don't work that way. But God's Word will always work. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word never pass away. The Lord said this, I've sent my word and it shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which it was sent to do. You want to see greatness? Get around somebody who's found their purpose, who stands for the word, and they'll change the world. They'll change their environment. Doesn't mean people will accept them, but they've made change available by their actions. Amen. Isn't that good news? This is why we've got to separate. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We want to.